Hi, I'm Wayne Jansen and this is Amargo Kingston's No Fibs podcast. I came to No Fibs via Twitter during the 2013 election campaign when Margot put out a call for citizen journalists to cover seats where they live. I covered Cathy McGowan's 2013 Indi campaign and uh, she was my first ever interview. And as everyone knows, she went on to defeat then-liberal, hard-right, heavyweight and minister-in-waiting Sophie Mirabella. I watched McGowan go from being an election oddity when Tony Abbott took office in 2013 to her final speech in Parliament being treated as a nationally significant moment by media and parliamentary colleagues. It's a privilege to talk with the member for Indi, Cathy, as she's retiring from Parliament for my first ever No Fibs podcast. Okay, I'm sitting with Cathy McGowan down at the Vu Cafe in Wangaratta, and um, she's essentially just finished up in Parliament. We're waiting for the election call and about to kick off a new Voices for Indi campaign. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Cathy. Hello, Wayne, and hello, all the listeners to No Fibs. I'm really pleased to do this because no fibs was such a uh, important part of me getting elected in the first place and the power of Twitter and how that worked was a real lesson for me. So it's great to finish up with you, Wayne. So I'm very happy to answer your questions. Well, we're actually, I have to say, we're very grateful for the time that you've always given us. It's, um, it, it's been a great honour. So your speech on Thursday, Sea of Orange again, how did that make you feel? Mm. So I had a couple of, of some strong emotions about my final speech on Thursday to the Parliament. One is the actual delivery of it to my community. So that was really important for me to report back to them on what I'd done, because clearly I was their representative, but they also got me there. So I owed them that responsibility to say, to report back to them. So that was one sense. And I, I was very pleased that in such numbers that they came. But also the reaction from the press gallery and my colleagues, that was also very satisfying because I, I think it's hard to know how other people perceive you, but I think what I, what I heard after that speech was, ah, it made sense to them about many of the speeches I'd made and much of the work I'd done because, because I, they, people could see that I was the representative of my community, that we're the same, that, I'm, that we are us, and I wasn't uh, acting as an independent individual I actually was representing my community and I think that was really clear on Thursday how that worked having the community there in large numbers and the photos that came out of it really really um, represented that as well so I was very pleased that I could make help my my colleagues in Parliament both the media and the members of Parliament make greater sense of what it is we have, we're trying to do in North East Victoria which is really be engage have the democracy that we've got really thrive through people being engaged uh, and it's not about being right or wrong it's actually about engagement and delivery and being a representative and I got the sense on Thursday that people are getting it more and more. So as you know I was in the gallery and and there were two things that struck me one was actually how emotionally personally it was for me to be there at the end. Um, the other thing that, that I, I realised was that people weren't exactly there to listen to a speech they were there because they had ownership of the politics. You know, yeah. it was their politics that, yeah. that was in Canberra. And you've actually actively worked on that in various things. And one of those is your volunteer program. So a lot of cynics, and a big truck just went past, a lot of cynics out there would say, well, an independent doesn't have the resources of a party, so it's a smart way to, to get more, more 
more, more people working on, on, on problems. But it's much more than that. Can you um, give us a brief rundown on what it's meant for the electorate? So, when I, when I, was, when I was elected and trying to work out, well, how do I do this job? How do, and the job was not was to be a representative, surely, but it was also to do something for my community of North East Victoria that we, we had been taken for granted and all the statistics show that we're being left behind. Our education um, numbers are poor, our income numbers are low, uh, our infrastructure. So we, we really have suffered by being a safe seat and being taken for granted. And our major export has been our young people. So in my thinking about, well, how do I actually make sure that the, the electorate itself moves into the 21st century and that we can actually become, we can reach our potential with you know creative, innovative jobs, um, being a go-to place, not only for tourists, but our young people and having a really good education system and exciting jobs. So when I realised that that's what I wanted to do and democracy and being the Member of Parliament was a vehicle for doing that, I knew I had to engage with people and that hopefully they'd get the sense of confidence and excitement about being part of, a, of something new, of something better. So then, and I knew if we could build confidence, we'd build jobs. And if we can build jobs that are exciting and new, then people will come and live here and we'll, we'll really, really have the sparkle that we need. So the process was quite clear in my mind about engagement and about building confidence. And the representation was a way of doing it that people would actually get be confident that if they came to me with an issue that I would, regardless of politics, do something about it to the best of my ability. And I was able to do that in a number of ways. So I had a strategic, we had a strategic, we developed a strategic plan for the electorate. And that was to actually do things around the really major infrastructure problems, which was the train, the mobile phone and education and health. So we were able to do that. And then there was a whole lot of other issues that people came to see me about that I clearly didn't have the resources to do. But we realised that if we could form community organisations and get them to Canberra, they could lobby for their own issue. Then, then they could get things done and use my office as a, as a vehicle. But I didn't actually have to do all that. I could be the facilitator. So that's a second uh, strand that worked really well. And then the third one was to actually engage with young people to give them the hope and confidence that, that, that it wasn't just words, that this future really was theirs, but they had to actually turn up and sign up and step up because we need their intellect, we need their way of seeing the world if we are actually going to move into the 21st century. We've got far too many last century educated people running the place. And while that's fine in a way, it's not going to give us the sparkle we need. So really, truly engaging with young people and giving them the trust and the confidence that, that the world is their oyster. So you ask about the volunteer program. So it became the key for doing that. If I could get people to Canberra, they paid their own way and we organised billets for them so it wasn't really too much out of pocket expense. Then for four days they could work in my office and get a sense of how Parliament worked. And then they would leave with not only confidence that that they could come back again and do their own business. They, they knew the staff, they knew the procedures, and that mostly everyone left with a sense of having done something, researched a speech for me or done a letter 
or organised a meeting with a minister so that they actually moved from being just interested to, ah, oh, I can do this, and then they'd go back home to their communities and say, well, I know how to do X, Y, Z, and we can ring up Cathy's office, and then I can go back to Canberra, and if we've got a solution to a problem, her staff will help us do that. So that worked really well, and people could see that volunteering wasn't actually about helping me do my day job, it was actually about helping the electorate become a better place. And if they were solutions focused, they could then be the vehicle using to do, to do the change. So that model worked on, edu- on o- almost every single issue. But probably the best one it worked on most efficiently was, was the refugee issue. So solving the refugee problem and offshore detentioning, detention wasn't part of my strategic plan for Indi. But the trains and edu- health and education were much more uh, prominent. But what happened was that the, the refugee advocates were very disappointed in my early days that I wasn't doing enough. And I said, well, look, there's so much I've got to do. I haven't got excess, excess time to do this. But if you get organised into a group and you can come to Canberra and you, well, let's work together in that way. So they did. They'd had, there was a number of rural Australians refugee RA groups. They formed the North East Victorian Collective. They organised a conference in Wodonga, I think last year, it could have been the year before, and then they got three or four hundred people turned up. They had a really clear agenda. The key leaders had actually been and volunteered in the office and understood how it worked, understood how the office worked, and then they really clearly worked on me and worked on Canberra. They started off about offshore detention and getting the kids off, but then we worked into uh, refugee settlement and how we could improve the whole process of settlement in the region areas and got some really good outcomes in terms of the population policy change that the government has just announced. So that was a bit of an example of how the community got their act together, was solutions focused and could use my office to deliver things. And when it came to the debate about how I was going to vote on the Medibank legislation, clearly my vote was the deciding vote for the government. And I had many, many meetings with um, the Minister for Immigration, Population and also the Prime Minister over summer about what would it take for me to support the government on that. And I kept on saying to the government, well, I've got a really strong lobby group in my community. They want me to vote for the Medivac. But if you gave me something better that gave us a better outcome and you did it publicly and I could go back to my community and say, well, we've got the Medivac here, but the government's offering us New Zealand or something else that the community could actually respond to. And then I will have that debate with, I'll have that debate with my community and I will vote with them whichever way they wanted. Now, the government was a bit interested in that for a short period of time, but then they decided, no, that they weren't going to go there. So I put it out to my community. Well, if you want me to vote this way, you've actually got to let me know. And there was a huge response, um, over 700 individual pieces of correspondence to the office. Uh, so in, in the end, it was a, it was a no-brainer to, to vote in favour of the Medivac, Medivac legislation. But I was so disappointed that the government actually didn't realise that in Indi, the community actually wanted something better, that the Medivac legislation is a, an answer to a problem that's created. It doesn't actually resolve the detention that we're facing or how do we get refugees integrated into our rural communities, which is what we want to do. Uh, but that, that was how that worked. So, and the key leaders had all been up to Canberra, they'd met the key players um, and they'd gone and done their own, their own advocacy work. 
So I was really pleased when I made that vote and I could send an email back out to those 700 people about here's how we did it, here's the process at work and thank you for letting me know what you think because that's my job. In that, you mentioned kids. Um, when I was down in Canberra, as you know, I spent a week embedded in your office and I, I saw how you engaged with kids and I've never seen a bunch of kids so engaged in politics before. And then the other day in Canberra on Thursday, there was a group of, uh, one was 22, there were about three, 16, and one child of 11 mm. had come all the way, had mm. gone all the way to Canberra to listen to your speech. And I thought, wow, okay, an 11 year old kid engaged in politics, what's going on? So your whole philosophy behind getting kids involved and, 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 and getting an interest in politics so What's behind that? Yeah. Because, I mean, I was I was really shocked that an 11-year-old child took the time to go to Canberra to listen to a, essentially a political, boring political speech. Yeah. Well, it's because I fundamentally know that our young people are much better educated than I am, that they know stuff about how the world operates. And for me, if I can get them engaged in politics, but not just political politics, but engage them to turn up to speak up and have their say, and it could be at local government, it could be on hospital boards, it could be in their schools, and they grow in confidence that, that their their opinions matter and value, are valued, and that their solution to problems are good solutions and adults like me are going to listen to it, then the consequence of that is that they'll have more confidence and more trust in speaking up and working together. So I know that to be true, and I know that in North East Victoria there are very few people, and particularly young people in leadership positions, or there was, they just leave, or they don't care. So that was part of my plan, I suppose, of targeting um, the young people. And Wayne, I did it for a couple of reasons. That you might remember back in 2013, it was the young people who rang up and said, we're never gonna come and live at home. The phones don't work, the trains don't work, things are really bad and no one cares about climate change. And when I actually heard those young people say that and I knew it to be true, I thought, ooh, I'll personally be an old aunt and have no one look after me. <laughs> and I want the kids there. But also I knew that they, that was right and that no one was taking any attention to those big issues. And those young people then got engaged in the 2013 election and they were a really important part of me getting elected. So my promise to them was I would always make sure I represented them. So that was the core promise. But then once I became the Member of Parliament, I realised that in each of our schools, there's at least 17 high schools in Indi, there's leadership teams. And um, I cottoned on pretty quickly to those leadership being, teams being clever young people. So I'd send out a letter to each of the principals of each of the high schools saying, if you can get to Canberra with your student leadership teams, I'll take you to lunch in the Parliament House dining room. And if possible, get you to question time and, and honour you as leaders. So we started doing that and most of the school leadership teams have come to Canberra and we've had lunch together, I've had a chance to get to know them and get to know what their issues were and then they would invite me back to their speech nights and we've set up a rapport and, and uh, an understanding with schools that leadership is not something you do later, that there's leadership happening in our schools now and to acknowledge and thank the young people for being really brave young people in their schools now. So that's working. And I hope that as a result of that acknowledgement that they will continue to step up to leadership as they move through their lives. They just won't wait. So that's one thing that's worked. But the other thing that I've just really loved is the 
um, school groups that come up. So they've had close on 5,000 individual young people come as part of their school group to Canberra. And when they come to Canberra, they get the tour of Parliament House and I get to speak to them. And I ask them at the end of it if when they see me up the street, um, I won't recognise them because I'll be out of school uniform, if they'll come and say hello to me and introduce me to their parents or their grandparents or their friends. And I get them to promise that they'll do that. And look, it's had the big, best impact because I can go shopping now and these kids, um, sometimes they, they were grade six when they first came to Canberra, they're now in year nine. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. You said to come and say hello. And I say, oh, who are you? And I'm Jane. And we were in Canberra three years ago and you said to say hello. And this is my mum and this is my dad and my grandparents. And so here we are in the shopping centre with these young people having the status of, they, of they, them knowing me. And it's not their mum and dad who know me, and they get to introduce me to their mum and dad. And I, and I thank them and we have a chat about whatever their issues are. And I know that that's working for these young people. So it happens to me regularly, and, and I must say I love it, because there's nothing better than being a 65-year-old art and having these gorgeous young people. You used to be kids. a teacher, didn't you? I used to be a yeah. teacher, yeah. But having these gorgeous young people claim me and have me as their, they know me and they can show me off. But I really do it because I want them to know that politics is theirs, that their opinions matter and that their member of parliament is their member of parliament and they can make use of them. And I think we've made a, we've made a really significant uh, inroad into that and it's working. Your integrity bill, it's a completely changed subject. That sort of legislation is generally pretty complex and I mean, it's, to understand it, the implications of it, you kind of need a really good strong foundation in law. So, I mean, I, I don't even understand the pitfalls in them and I've, I've, I've spoken to people, you know, in, in, in length about it. So, in really simple terms, what makes your integrity bill better? So, why should people, why, why should other independents and, and, and Labor get behind it? And why should it influence people's vote in this election? So, there was some work done by Griffith University and Transparency Australia and we worked very closely with them and they did a paper which had three options. A minimalist, all we need to do is co coordinate the agencies that are already there. So that was option one, which is where the government ended up going. Option two was coordinate and value add. And option three was to build in more resources and actually do proactive work. So we went with option three. So basically, Everybody now has agreed we need to do something about the National Integrity Commission. It's the what that we're going to have the argument about. So the government at least is coming to the party now and saying we need to at least to coordinate the 21 agencies that work in this area. And that would be a really good thing. They need to actually work together. But we think it needs to be more than that. We think we need to have an overarching piece of legislation that actually defines what integrity is, how, how a referral is made and how it gets addressed. At the moment, that doesn't exist. And in the government's coordination, it, it's not there. So we think that there needs to be a, a process where, Wayne, you could come and you could make a complaint and you know your complaint would be heard in private by you until such time as there was, yes, there's an issue here. And then if, an, if there's an issue determined to be there, there's a process that gets underway. Now that doesn't exist at the moment. So that's what we wanted to introduce. And the good thing is Labor has agreed to that. But Labor has said we will consult widely with all the players if we get elected. 
and, uh, and I'm happy about that. I think consultation is good, but we really do need to hold a high bar and we can't go back. The government, I think, with option one is a low bar and we could do much better than that. And the second thing is that when I put in my Integrity Commission private members bill, I also incorporated a code of conduct for politicians. Yes. So this is a defining feature for me because at the moment there's a code of conduct for ministers, not for anybody else. So I think that's not good enough. And I, my, my bill said, we, here's the principles that you use to develop a code of conduct and then the parliament would agree to it. Now, this is not new, it happened in 2012, um, it's regularly come before the Parliament, but there does seem to be a reluctance of the major parties to agree to a code of conduct, because it will define what uh, values and behaviour is. But um, that's really the bit that I think we need to do at this election, is get everybody getting their members of Parliament to agree to sign up to a process for a code of conduct. And we don't want to really argue at the moment about what's in it, but we do need the principles and we do need a commitment that we will do that. And that there will be, uh, what our legislation said, is there's a special person there who'll be an advisor to members of parliament. So this, if, you're, if you're a bit wobbly about um, taking money from somebody or favours or somebody else, you can go and, and seek advice on it. So you don't just get left by yourself. At the moment, there's no one to even go to. And if you think something is a bit iffy, you've got to make your decision yourself and with your staff obviously but having an expert there who'd be your independent advisor would be a really useful first step so that's one of the things we've put in place so essentially make it easier to do the right thing well that's right in effect because i know that some people have been been unwittingly trapped in to not trapped but you know they've unwittingly done the wrong thing not realizing so that's right. We, we want people. We want people to be their best selves. So that's the whole basis for what we were doing. We don't want to punish people. We want to actually give them advice when they need it. But if there's something deliberately off and they've done it deliberately, then they've got to be held to account. So we want both the carrot and the stick. I think. Okay. So we'll finish up in a second. I, I, I wanted to ask you your proudest moment in Parliament. Uh, it has to be on Friday. It has to be on Thursday. Being able to deliver my final speech to a packed gallery of my community who'd made the effort, taken a day off school, off work, paid their own way to get there. And then they stood there and they gave me a, a standing ovation. Oh, oh, I've done it. You know, Kathy, you've done what you've set out to do. Your community understand what you've done. And even though many of them don't want me to actually leave, we've got the succession planning underway. Helen Haynes is an excellent candidate and I know she'll continue the work. So to be able to leave on such a high and have my community actually understand the work that I've done, uh, it was just really, really deeply satisfying. And I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful to everybody for that. And now I've been back home for the last few days and the Facebook feedback has just been enormous. People really are appreciating what we've done. And now um, we had the Helen Hayne launch on Sunday, 300 plus people there. And I'm really getting the sense that people understand the baton change, that I'm still in the relay, but I'm just not going to be the team leader anymore. That'll be Helen's job and I'll still be part of the team put, supporting her. People are, are getting that you don't actually have to be a Member of Parliament for life. You know, six years is a good term. And, if, and Helen, I'm sure, will, will grow into the job and in another six years will be even bigger and better in, in the way we do politics and the community engagement we bring with it. So, yeah, it makes me very... Um, 
honoured and I feel very privileged and very optimistic for the future. Your legacy. What do you hope your legacy is for Indi? So there's two things that I really want to have done well. One is to have engaged with these young people and that they, I'm seeing them look, they stood for election in the state election that took place just before Christmas. We had four independents running in four uh, seats and a young woman, Jackie Hawkins, really shook the Liberal Party. And so, and she'd been a volunteer, she'd got it. We've got young people standing for local government now and they're doing a fantastic job. So more support to those young people to step up. And then the other group is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I was their representative because the person who'd been the Member of Parliament before me hadn't represented them. Um, she'd abstained from voting on the apology. And that was just such a, such a bad thing to do to a people who've been so disenfranchised. So to be recognised by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as their representative and at Helen Haynes' launch on Sunday, the acknowledgement of country by an Aboriginal woman was so powerful and then Helen's response was that she will continue to do that, to actually work for reconciliation, for truth-telling and that Aboriginal people have their own voice into Parliament is a commitment. So I'd like that to happen so that we can then get on with the next 60,000 years of our history as a reconciled nation. I'm going to ask you a variation on the, the question that Tony Windsor was asked that kind of, in a way, kicked off your 2013 campaign. I know you won't say who you're going to miss the most, so I'm going to, uh, who, who, who you won't miss the most, so I'm going to ask who will you miss the most. Mm. So truthfully, the relationships I've had with the crossbench are deep and personal and I have loved working with them. So the, the group, and I'll, I will stay in contact with them because their work is extraordinary. You know, Rebecca Sharkey, Andrew Wilkie, uh, Karen Phelps, Julia Banks, Bob Catter. Like, Bob is 70 plus and he continues to deliver. Uh, and Adam Band, that collective on the crossbench that actually represents the diversity of opinions in Australian politics. Uh, I, I really, really miss the intellectual stimulation of that group, their courage, their persistence, and their ability to call the other major parties to account and then to vote. And so many times, Andrew and Adam, Rebecca and I would sit there on the, the front bench and be the only group against the whole parliament on issues that were so right. And we did that last, last week in parliament, that both parties were pushing through this legislation around the, the online uh, big companies in response to Christchurch. And it was such a piece of legislation done in such a hurry. And we were saying, no, 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 stop. You've actually got to do this carefully. So we were the voice of reason, I think. The legislation got through, but it was us calling attention to it. So they're the group I'll miss the most, I think. Okay, Cathy, thank you for your time. And thank you for your service to Indi too. It's been a pleasure covering you and yeah. So to those listening, here we are sitting in Wangaratta. Uh, Wayne and I are out under, under, the, uh, uh, under the umbrella. There are European moths flying around us trying to eat his lunch. So thank you, Wayne, and I look forward to staying in touch with you while we get this next election underway because truly it will be a really important election and particularly for rural and regional Australia when so many other independents are standing and I wish them well. Thank you, Cathy.